Hello and welcome along to another RTE Rugby podcast. Neil Tracy, Bernard Jackman and Eddie O'Sullivan all with you this week, recapping on the Champions Cup, looking ahead to this weekend's URC and Women's Six Nations as well. And before we get into all of that, Eddie, we were just talking off air this uh, this weekend. It's all coming down to the, the final weekend for yourselves at Buccaneers. City of Armagh this weekend, final game of the, the regular season of, of 1B. Win and you get into the playoffs, or win and you could get into the playoffs. Could get through with a defeat, but you don't exactly want to be to be leaving that one to chance. So it's it's all coming down to this weekend. Yeah, well, we're kind of in a we're in a position we didn't expect to be in really like that. We're in shot like we just got promoted. So the, the, obviously when you get promoted, your first year up, you're gonna stay where we are. So things went probably ahead of schedule for us, and we, we had a really good run in the league. But I kind of expected we'd come under the cash a bit at the end of the season because we've picked up injuries with our own players. We've lost a couple of key players. We've lost Shane Layden, who's an awful loss in our back line. Um, and we lost a very good back row, Keane McCann. And we've had our players like them got injured. Um, uh, over Connacht, Usher um, McCormack, and then Connacht have pulled up players. So with us losing players and Connacht pulling up players, we're just a weakened team now. We're into the last block. So you got, our, four, our, our our results would reflect that. But... We're still in with a shout, you know, so you don't know. Um, we'll give it a rattle against our mad. They're already promoted, so they're probably coming to celebrate a bit, you know. So hopefully we'll spoil their celebrations <laughs> on that end. But they're promoted now, so that they, you know, they're untouchable. We're we're having a shot here at a, a playoff place. We'll see how it goes, you know. It, it'll be tough. Um, but look, we're we're a lot better. We're a lot better set than I thought we might be at the start of the season coming up a division. Um, with a good run, and we're never in relegation trouble, so I, I'm very happy with that. You didn't, uh, you didn't send a few celebratory slabs of cans up to the lads in Armagh. Just you take those lads, enjoy them for the week before you <laughs> yeah. come down. No, <laughs> no, we didn't. No, we didn't. I, I, I think they'll want to finish on a high too. You know, they, 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 by the de facto fought the way out of the league. It's been, it's a change because last year I think it was all Wesley won all their league matches. And there was a playoff then, and and they got caught in the playoff and got beaten. So I think this year was done. They did it right. They said the team that wins the league automatically goes up. It was very tough on Wesley last year. Mm. Uh, have won the league, to have to go into a playoff and then get caught in the playoff, um, and and not get promoted. So Armagh gone up by their own right. To be fair, and we had a good home dinner with them up in Armagh at the first game of the season. We we lost by two points up in Armagh. So I'm looking for another home dinner on the weekend and see what happens. Yeah, it's it's a great time of the season, Birch. Like there's just so much on the line right up and down the divisions between promotion and relegation. And as Eddie said, now that there's you know, you've the one automatic promotion spot plus the playoffs at least, there's it kind of widens the widens the margin and brings an extra team in contention to for both promotion and relegation up across the divisions. Yeah, yeah. no, it's 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 massive and um we obviously we we fell short against Clare Valley, but that final is on this weekend, Clare Valley against Richmond and the winner of that has automatic um, promotion to the to the All Ireland League, and the the loser has a has a playoff shot. So, um, it's great to see these competitions. Whether you're obviously you hope you're involved in a club at the top, but if you're a club at the bottom as well, it's it's that sense of jeopardy and that fight to to survive. Um, and looking at all the divisions, there's there's still so much to play for, which is exactly what I suppose you want in a competition structure. Yeah, it should be great. So if you're out and about around the country on Saturday afternoon looking for something to do, get out to your Get out to your local club last round of the, the regular season games and playoffs to come as well for a good few teams. But uh, guys, we'll start into the into the Champions Cup. And I know both of you were at the Aviva Stadium on Friday evening. Leinster booking the their place in the semi-final of the Champions Cup. 55-24 winners against Leicester Tigers. Strange scoreline, didn't really 
seemed like it was heading that way for for a lot of the game, but Leinster just you know, or Leicester, I should say, just completely ran out of gas after after the third quarter. But talking kind of about the the game itself in a little bit, but the Birch, the narrative post match, um, last week Dan McFarlane was talking about Leinster's advantage when it comes to the demographics they're they're working with and things like that. Richard Wigglesworth this week was talking about the the Gulf and what teams have available to spend, um. There's a kind of a, a culture war narrative developing after each of these matches now. And, you know, from one side, Leinster do have this enormous budget and they're able to spend a lot more than most teams in the Premiership. They're probably on par with the, the bigger French teams. But as Leo Cullen pointed out as well, they've they've won one Champions Cup in the last 10 years. So we're not exactly talking about a, a juggernaut that, that has to be stopped. What's the kind of, where's the middle ground in all of this? Oh no! I think the middle ground is, is to accept, um, because of demographics, because of, um, the work that's done at developing those young players, both before they get to Leinster and when they after they come to Leinster, the work that's done commercially, the fact that it's the only professional sport in a, um, you know, uh, in a in a place with with I suppose a, a big, um, a big population. It's it's a game that the corporates love. Um, Leinster have a lot of advantages. They have a lot of things in their favour. And um, while they haven't won a European Cup or won one in whatever ten years, um, and the last one's two thousand eighteen, you're looking at this squad and you're seeing the the development of the Van der Fleers, the Dorises, the Ring, the the Keenans, the James Lowe, the Gibson Park. You know who four or five years ago weren't internationals and and now are are star players for Ireland. And and I think it, Leinster have the tools to win Europe. You know what I mean? And, you know, you would say that if they do things right, they should be there or thereabouts every year because what I think what what Wigglesworth is trying to uh, say is that the game has changed in England. You know, Exeter are into a, a semi-final, but that team is breaking up. You know, that team is breaking up because of salary cap. Um, some of the best players are leaving and I don't think they have the, you know, I don't think they'll be in the final. I think it'll be, you know, La Rochelle in, in the final. Toulouse obviously have you know a very good budget. You know they're spending the salary cap in in France, which is ten point five million. You know it's nearly double the UK at the moment or the Premiership at the moment. So you would expect the Irish and the the, the South African and and the and the French to be at the top top of the game. Um, and South Africans have now gone to private money. The Bulls are now backed on by private money. The Sharks are now backed by private money, and the Stormers are. You know, are doing well but uh, on the field and they've got a good squad together but financially they're in a very unstable position so they're probably going to need to find um private money but that's that's the reality of it and uh, the game has changed and Leinster maybe lost to teams in the past who had more budget um but I think it's credit to Leinster now that they've been able to find the resources along with the IRFU so it's it's a mixture of both to build a squad who look like they're capable of winning it you know um and uh, that that's that's the reality of it, and and they are well coached. There's a great culture there. There's lots of things being done well. So I don't think it's an attack on Leinster. I I, I think Leinster maybe have taken umbrage to it maybe the wrong way. I think Wigglesworth is just explaining where he's at, and five point five million, which Wigglesworth's operating under, can build you, can get you a good team. You know they have Andre Pollard, they have Jasper Visa, you know they have Dan Cole on the bench. They have a good team, good twenty three. What the extra money gives you is the ability to have, you know third choice or fourth choice like Scott Penny and Will Connors. You know, that's the 
that's where the beauty is. So, you know, if you get injuries, injuries, you can bring players in. If Robbie Henshaw gets injured, Char- Charlie Natai, you know, can, can, can play, you know, he's a, he's a, he's an all black um, and a high, highly an expensive recruit who does a great job. He's there. He's very like Easton Asiba. He's there when internationals aren't there, but that's the, that's what Leinster have. And that's what the extra budget gives you. Um, and with that comes pressure, accepting that there's, you have the best budget creates pressure. And obviously coaches try and avoid pressure, but I think that's what's playing out at the moment. Eddie, what do you think about it? Um, I think Wigglesworth is probably a bit, he's a bit confused about how, how the whole thing is working. Like I think comparing Leinster to the teams in England and in France is, is, is a misnomer. Like, Leinster are a product of a very efficient and streamlined Irish rugby system. You know, we're, Irish rugby is very atypical for the Northern Hemisphere because we're players are centrally contracted. There's four professional teams. The RFU manages the whole environment. Leinster are are the strength they're at. And we all know the reason for that is okay. They have better budgets. They're in a capital city of over a million people. Uh, they have a big. The province is a big province. They've you know great support in the province as well. But the school system is delivering incredibly talented players. You know that, Bernard. You've been around it long enough. Like, and even Leinster's reach uh, in, and I was going through this exercise and I got time, but I didn't get time, is how many Leinster players are playing across the provinces now professionally? You know, not just out of Leinster, but how many Leinster players are in Ulster, Connacht and Munster? And then if you do a deep dive, another deep dive on that, how many of those, how many of those uh, players are come from which schools in Dublin? And, and I, it seems to me that the, the, the school powerhouse in Leinster is delivering a conveyor belt of talent which benefits Leinster primarily, but also benefits the other provinces. Now, Richard Wigglesworth, to be fair, wouldn't understand that whole dynamic. So him jumping on the, the oh, Leinster loads of money and we don't is kind of a very shallow argument as to why Leinster is so good and 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 and, and Leinster struggle. If he looked in the other direction, you know, he'd get a better picture as why well. they're, they're, they're not as good because, as you know well, if you compare... The, the English and the French system, which are more aligned, you know, they, they have similar playing populations. Um, you know, they have similar attendances at games. They get their average attendances are like twelve or fourteen thousand. I mean, um, their 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 population player they bought one hundred twenty five thousand in France, one hundred thirty thousand in England. But so after that is where the money kicks in, and salary cap in in France is twice that of England. Uh, the average salary in Fran- in England is about one hundred and seventy thousand uh, pounds, and it's over it's nearly quarter million euros in France. And the big one is, you know, the the TV money uh, in in England is is one hundred and ten million, and in France it's three hundred and forty million, about to jump to nearly four hundred million pounds, or over four hundred million euros a year. And that's where the difference is. And you know, the 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 GIF regulations of France are a lot looser; they're getting tighter. But that's why the big money can bring in the big players and they can build depth into their squad. So Richard Wiggles was right that you they're going to find it very hard with English teams who are struggling financially between one thing and another to compete with the French teams. But to compare French teams to the Irish teams, or particularly Leinster, it's not a fair comparison. It's a completely different product, completely different genesis of how Leinster got to where they are. And again, you know, even the simple numbers, we support four professional teams, they support, you know, 12 in the Gallagher Premiership, 14 in France. So the, even in England, they're spread among 12 teams, you know. So I just think he, I, I could see where he was coming from, but I just think it was the wrong comparison. You know, he, that argument he made is very valid against Toulouse. 
but I don't think it stands up against Leinster. It's a we're a very unique rugby ecosystem here. For the last 20 years, we've been the envy of the Northern Hemisphere. And it goes back to the days when the RFU made a strategic decision that with the four professional teams, they'd be, they would fund them, they would be grown through an academy system, which would be built on the, 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 the school's rugby system. And it's worked incredibly well. I remember years ago uh, when I was um, with Ireland and I was at, at a, a dinner with um, Rob Andrew, who was the head of of the RFU at the time in terms of, of, of rugby development. And he, he said to me that, he, you know, he would give his right hand to have what I had in terms of the access to the players and the system we had. I remember Laporte, when he was coached to France, again, asking me questions around that, how we accessed our players, how we developed them. And and the other thing as well about France is they have a very strong academy system in France. You know that, Bernard. It's government supported. And um, like, for example, and, and I just, it's funny how names crop up, but um, for example, like you see players like, Maxine Luca, who's the backup scrum half um, in France. You have Alvin Plassens and Alessandro Roma, who came off the bench for Toulouse last weekend. They were in the they were in the Biarritz Academy when I were there. All those three players are in the Biarritz Academy. So the, the French academies are actually very good as well. And they're government supported, they're well regulated. I don't know if the English rugby academies are as efficient um, as the French rugby academy. So like France have built their brand based on good academies, strong rugby tradition, and truckloads of money and I don't think England can match that but I, I don't think it's the right right thing to compare Leinster with Toulouse it's, it's a very different ecosystem here One to, to throw to, to both of you feel free whoever wants to, to go first on this one do you do you see at any point in the next few years a, a salary cap coming in at, at URC level or for or for Champions Cup slash Challenge Cup Rugby No no because the RFU would be mad to to agree to it. Um, obviously, I think the Scots and the Welsh and the Italians, maybe South Africans would would go for it. But I, I think those, we, I think our model is sustainable. You know what I mean? And that's that's what everyone should be fighting to, to, to create is a sustainable model where you can give your teams and individuals the best possible chance of, of success. And, and the Irish model is working incredibly well for Leinster at the moment. Um, you know, Munster and Connacht have a couple of big games um, over the next two weeks before we can say like we only had you know two teams in the uh, in the Champions Cup next I know it's unlikely but then you'd have to say well it's not great for Connacht and, and Munster at the moment or, or, or the overall depth of Irish rugby but I think the model here is sustainable um, it, the, the game is well financed well run and we've been able to keep our best players in Ireland um, pretty much across the board we've been able to give our provinces a chance of success um, so like for us to try and readjust to a salary cap of of what eight eight million would basically mean Leinster would have to lose some of those players that they've developed, and I, I don't think that should that should happen um at all. You know, I mean Leinster Leinster get rewarded for bringing true players because they have so many internationals um that the RFU then are willing to fund those internationals um who stay who stay in Leinster um pretty much the most people who leave Leinster bar Joey. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, aren't first choice uh, anymore. Um, and even Leinster have done a really good job over the last couple of years of of keeping second and third choice players happy. You know, you know, look at the hooker situation. Um, there's no doubt one of those hookers was targeted by another province, but they decided to stay um, and fight it out. So, um, and that's that's across the board. So no, I don't think a salary cap. I think the the English. It's up to the English and the Welsh and Scots. The Scots, in fairness, are spending good money on Glasgow and Edinburgh. They're spending around eight million. 
each on, on those um, in terms of player spend. And they've upped that over the last two or three years to try and create success. And now they only have to fund two. The Welch are obviously going the other direction. They're going down 4.5 million per squad with a view to going up, you know, when things stable mm-hmm. uh, stabilize. So no, I don't I don't think a salary cap in the URC um will will come will come across. And I think a salary cap across the Champions Cup would be nigh on impossible to um to police as well. Um you've got so many different uh, tax regimes, you've got so many different um, entities mm-hmm. um, and it's only now really the Premiership have really got their claws in, post-Saracens uh, obviously cheating they've really got their, their claws into the English club's accounts but to try and go cross-border on that would be I think uh, impossible so no I don't think I don't think the, I think the, the competition itself, the, the French clubs are close enough in spending to the to Leinster um, that it's going to be competitive, you know, Leinster still haven't won it but um, and they've been in a very good position this time for the last three or four years and obviously have, have found the team better than them on the day. But at the moment, they just look so convincing. The fact that Ireland have won a Grand Slam is a huge amount of hype. But until Leinster have that trophy, um, I think we need to hold our horse a little bit. And just on the on the central contract system, okay, if we're, if, if we're talking about how it's very different, difficult for to compare... The English situation, Eddie, with with the Irish situation. If we're just talking about comparing Irish provinces with Irish provinces, and the the central contract system, where last okay, James Ryan renewed his yesterday. Josh van der Fleer is on the on the central contract system now, and and looking through the names there, there's 15 players who are on contracts at the moment. One of those, Jacob Stockdale, is going back to just a, an Ulster deal at the end of the season. But then you've got Ian Henderson that's up for renewal as well. Conor Murray, Peter Mahoney, Keith Earls. Tyke Byrne and Bundyaki of that bunch of players they're I think they're pretty much all above 30 um, some of them are definitely getting towards the, the tail end of their careers maybe someone like Tyke Byrne has a bit more time left in him and he's only one year into his central contract but it's it's foreseeable that in three or four years time if there are we'll say 15 central contracts up for grabs 14 or 15 of them could be Leinster players. And that, that is very, very difficult all of a sudden for any of the other three provinces to to even attempt to bridge a gap. Well, it's a carrot and a stick system, which I think is is fair. Like it's we're in a competitive environment sport. So the province that produces the most internationals gets rewarded with the most central contracts, which puts takes pressure off their 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 salary budget, you know. And that's fair. Like, you, you but is can't. It, but is it is it good? Is it good business from the IRFU's point of view to have, to have one team considerably better than all the rest? Well, you can't not. How do you how do you change that unless you say, well, you wake up on a Monday and you say, "Geez, Leinster are really the best team by a mile in Ireland." So let's now this break up this Leinster team and spread them to the four corners of Ireland and even it up for the four provinces. Like that's your option, which is. You think about it as ludicrous, like, and and already by the way, Lens would argue that's happening already to their players. Yeah. Their players that don't make the cut in Lens are shipped off to the provinces, you know. Sometimes because that they know that if they don't do that, there's no, there's no pathway from in Ireland. So like, I, I think you, we can't you can't punish a province for being really good at what they do. I know they have advantages in Lens, Don't get me wrong; everyone knows that. But I think the system, the RFU have to have a system where if they're going to fund a centrally contracted model. They have to give the their those centrally contracts central contracts to the best players. 
that's what you do. You you reward it. So if that happens to Leinster, happen to get more. There was let's not. It wasn't a hundred years ago that if you the centrally contracted players were, were dominated by monster. You know, and I think as well you have to be careful. Like there, sometimes when something happens, like 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 at the moment, Leinster are talked of the, the talk of the town, and rightly so. That you say, oh, we've got to do something about this, so we make a strategic decision to fix something. That's like it's it's monster's job to get back on the horse here. It's it's Ulster's job to get back on the horse and try and compete with Leinster. And there are pathways for them. Um, but I, I think the notion that you would you would you know break Leinster up is what one way of doing it, which sounds ludicrous. Or the other way is that you centrally contract players who aren't the best 15 players in the country just to spread the financial load. Like it again, I don't see a I don't see a solution here that's equitable or workable on that basis. It's just that's the way it is at the moment. But it's up to the other provinces, you know, to produce the players to take those central contracts. Uh, and we've seen that. We've seen that happening. And I would say one thing as well, because we do tend to pat ourselves in the back here about what a brilliant system we have in Ireland. I'm always saying we have a brilliant system, and I don't step back from that. But let's not forget that four of the back line that beat England in the Grand Slam were not Irish products. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, basically the two wingers, Bundyaki and 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 Gibson Park did not control the Irish system. So despite all that, we still need in Ireland other resources from other countries to be brought in and to be to 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 be taken on board as Irish players or project players so that we can compete at international level. So it's a fairly complex environment. And and just remember, like any ecosystem, and rugby is an ecosystem, if you change a regulation or you bring in a new way of doing something, there's always unintended consequences. You know, and, and sometimes you don't know if you do it. So you have to be very careful if you tinker with stuff. But I, I don't have a problem with the RFU rewarding uh, central contracts to the best players. And if most of us players go to one province, that's fair. And, and the other provinces have to, to, to pony up if they want to catch up. And I say, I remind you that it wasn't a million years ago that Munster would have dominated that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think Eddie's, Eddie's spot on there. And even though we have a great system, we are have been reliant on on those project players uh, and obviously McAnson is Irish but you know he came he came through the yeah. Australian development system um or his Irish uh, Irish passport he came through the Australian uh, development system but I think realistically to change the dial for the other provinces as, as Eddie said they're going to have to find players who are good enough to be internationals for Ireland so and I think if you look at Connacht just um as as the probably the at the bottom province at the moment in terms of the URC potentially pass out Munster they do seem to have some some good kids coming through. Maddie Devine, you know Harry West, Eddie's working with some in Buccaneers. We're seeing Carl Ford have a big impact. The two Marais, you know, but realistically, probably they need three three of them to become first choice for Ireland for Connacht really to get the benefit of that, and then to be able to keep them. You know, likewise in Munster, you know Munster obviously have changed their their setup with Ian Costello leaving the academy to become an operations uh, operations role. They're filling that academy spot. So th- they're trying to work out how they can maximize the, the real gems that are in their pathway. And unfortunately for them, from an outsider looking in, you're saying they have some real talent there, but a lot of them are back rows, right? So there's going to be, you know, they need a bit of a, a bit of a, a mix. They need some, you know, back three players who, who are going to become the next Keith Earls. Um, but if they can get them, and, and that takes a while, if they can get them, then, and Leinster, some of the Johnny Sexton retires, you know, the Ty Furlong retires, etc. And maybe the next man up isn't of the same quality. So like Leinster, 
obviously moved Andrew Porter across to loose head, but your LNs are going to lose Keen Healy, you know, Keen Healy this year. Um, and in time, Ty Furlong will retire. If they don't have a like for like replacement, well, then Lens will get weaker, you know. Um, and it's not as easy, there's no guarantee that another Ty Furlong is going to come through the Leinster system in the next 10 years. It's just they're generational type players, like it's a freak that Gary Ringrose has come through in the same era that, that Brian O'Driscoll retired. You know, those players don't tend to to come through year on year, no matter how good a system is. So things can change, but at the moment it looks like Leinster should be top team for the next three or four years, I would say. Right. We'll move it on to the, the actual rugby on the pitch now, because I don't think we'll solve anything just just today. This is all, all <laughs> long-term stuff. But someone you mentioned there, Birch, to, to be honest, Gary Ringrose. So yeah. it's not... It's not long ago where we were talking about how when Johnny Sexton doesn't play for Leinster, they just look like a different team. And you and obviously when he does play, they look like a different team, obviously. Is Gary Ringrose getting to that level of importance now for, for Leinster and with Ireland? Because we could see it against Ulster, naturally, like the, the weather conditions were brutal, obviously, that day. But they look like a different team for a large part, part of that game on Friday night with Ringrose in midfield on both sides of the ball. I mean, he scores two tries in the opening half. He sets up the the third one. So basically, he had a hand in all three of the tries when the game was actually in the balance. Um, he came up with an absolutely enormous tackle on Mike Brown in the first couple of minutes, couple of minutes of the game as well. And also, when they're down to te- when they're down to fourteen players early in the second half, and the game is probably still in the balance as well. He's coming up with a massive jackal penalty in midfield that puts them down towards the twenty-two. And a few minutes later, they eventually end up scoring from that territory. Like, is he getting to that stage now where he is just absolutely vital to 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 Leinster's chances? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's absolutely outstanding, and um, particularly with Sexton being out, you know, obviously James Ryan has taken on captaincy and and that leadership role, and his play is outstanding. But I think. I think Ryan in the forwards and, and Ringrose in the backs are, are probably the two. Oh, look, they've got so many, you know, Hugh Keenan's is class as well. But Ringrose at the moment is just giving Leinster everything. They're, he's giving them the flair, but it's also he's giving them that physical edge. Um, defensively, he's, he's defensive leader. Uh, he's peerless, you know. And um, yeah, he for me, if there's a Lions test this summer, he's, he's starting 13 and, and obviously he didn't go on the last Lions tour. Which uh, you know, in, in in hindsight, looks a big error, but um, he has taken his game to another level, and um, yeah, I, I think if if he was out for the final or semi final, it does make Leinster you know more vulnerable. Eddie, looking ahead to Toulouse, just very kind of early thoughts on that game. The Toulouse and Sharks match was an absolute. It was an absolute cracker for for most of it. I know Toulouse ran away with it in the end, but it was yeah. it was harem scarem stuff for a lot of it, and. You know, Toulouse were kind of just trading blow for blow. Well, it was a great game until probably the last 15 minutes when the wheels came off. Um, but I have to say the thing that struck me about Toulouse is that, um, well, there's a few things. In fact, they're really quality players. Where do you start with them, you know? Um, but I just thought their capacity to create scores from unstructured rugby was frightening. That, that, that to me was that they... They looked like when they were in the zone in the last 20 minutes, they would just felt they could score from anywhere. Um, and some of the scores they conjured up, like from turnovers and loose kicks. So, like I was saying, you know, maybe Leinster slept well on Friday night after the, the Leicester game, but they wouldn't have slept as soundly on Saturday night after the Toulouse game. You know, I just think that 
to lose look like look like a team that can beat Leinster. You know, I know it's in Dublin, but I I would be I would be saying that Leinster need to really put in a big shift. Um, because uh, if to lose come loaded and they play well, it's going it's going to be a very tight game. And they just have that capacity. They have the they have the confidence and the the kind of it's that French arrogance when they get on the front foot and it's not a bad arrogance it's just that they believe they can open you up from anywhere but I, the thing that struck me most about Toulouse in, in, in that game was their capacity of unstructured rugby to just cut you to pieces mm-hmm. which is very hard to defend like most defence systems are set up around structured rugby giving teams the ball in certain areas of the field uh, off whether it's a set piece or a rock or a mall and, and then defending from that which where you know all your chess pieces are in place the trouble is when you kick the ball away or you turn it over, particularly turnovers, like your structure is completely all over the place. And sometimes even with a good kick chase structure, you can get caught in mismatches. I just thought Toulouse were, were, were outstanding on that. And they, they just have so many guys that can make stuff happen out of nothing. And and that's probably the biggest threat to Leinster. Uh, will be in, I'm sure you'll be talking about it before the game, Cluster, but Leinster have to really control that game because if, if they lose control of the game, um, like they did a bit in the first half against Leicester, you could pay a very big price against a team like Toulouse. I think we've we've lost Bernard temporarily there. We'll we'll keep going without him. But in terms of this weekend, just the last point on Leinster before we move on. They have a thirty man squad going down to Johannesburg that arrived today. Only fourteen of the of the thirty players are you know in the senior squad. You've you've thirteen academy players and three players who aren't even in the academy at sub academy. Like that's the. That's the way Leinster have set themselves up this season with the way they've performed, that they can allow themselves the opportunity to bring a squad like that down to South Africa for for risk-free rugby where they're just going to learn so much about themselves. Well, it's it's really it's it's, it's really smart strategic planning from, from Leinster. Like they wouldn't they would have seen the fixture list at the start of the season. And they would have seen back end of the year we've got two games in South Africa. Um so like Let's put the URC to bed before we get there. And then it's all about managing ourselves through the two competitions and making sure we win the URC and get a shot at winning Europe. So they've played their cards really smartly so that they knew they got to the point they wanted to be before the last two games of the season that they were unassailable. They are guaranteed a home playoff in the URC. So they could roll the dice. So if they lose two games in South Africa, nothing changes for them. They can stay focused in Dublin on on the on the on Europe. Plus the fact the upside of that is what the value these young players get of being out of country on tour playing in the ORC. So they'll make mistakes. Maybe they'll win, maybe they won't. It's it's they, they, there's all, nothing but upside here. But to be fair to Leinster, they had to work hard to put themselves into this position. But you can imagine them this was planned back in August. And we're going, look at the fixture list here. Let's make sure we're home and dry before we get to those last two regular season games. And then we can just sit back and, and, and make sure we're focused on what we need to focus on. First, while you dropped out there and welcome back, we were just talking about, you know, the, the luxury that Leinster have given themselves where they're able to bring 16 of their 30 man squad to South Africa are either Academy or, or sub Academy. And just to move it on, like to, to look at Munster, it's, it's as strong a squad that they're bringing down as as they can as they can play with. I know there are a few injuries, obviously, but it just obviously shows the the way those two seasons have gone. Where Munster now are heading down there for uh, first of all the Stormers this weekend in Cape Town, and then back to the Sharks next week. And 
at the very least, you think they need one win out of those two games, and they've they found themselves in a tricky spot. Well, more than a tricky spot, I would say. Yeah, I think Munster are in a real tricky spot. But obviously, it's because of the start they had to the season where they're really slow to kind of find a bit of form and, and that transition, you know, from how they played under Johan to how they're playing under, under Graham Rountree. Um, this is massive for them. I think Rountree would have been disappointed with the Sharks game in Europe um, coming off the back of that really poor performance against Glasgow. You know, he, he said, oh, there's going to be a reaction. I can promise you that. I remember the post-match press conference in Tolman Park there was a bit of reaction, but not not the old monster reactions where someone really pays for um, a poor performance the week before. So they've had a little bit more time um, to, I suppose, get themselves organised. They're bringing down a strong squad, but the challenge is is massive. Obviously, you know the Stormers and the and the Sharks are are two good sides, and and they have uh, points to play for themselves. So I think it's going to be really difficult for them if they can salvage something and salvage that European spot. Um, I think they'll go into pre-season, obviously, in a, in a good place. I, I think, you know, Challenge Cup Rugby next year for Munster would leave an awful hangover. You know, I think they, they have been a huge part of what made Champions Cup, Heining Cup special. Um, and for them, obviously, to not be in that next year from a player point of view, in terms of excitement um, and also from a financial point of view, I think it'd be a big blow. So, yeah, fingers crossed they can, they can do enough to, to get in. And Eddie, in terms of the the Stormers this weekend, like they're not exactly going to to take on a side that have nothing really left to play for. I mean, the Stormers have Ulster breathing down their neck to to get into the top two and have a a home path all the way through to a to a semi final. So they're you know their motivations are going to be as high as ever to to stop Munster. And then also as well, even if you're looking at the the conditions on Saturday night, like. The weather really, Munster really struggled in that sun and that heat in the second half in in Durban a couple of a couple of weeks ago. And I know it's going to be a bit later in Cape Town. It's going to be an evening game, but looking at the the forecast, you're probably still talking warm, dry weather up in the high teens, and that's the ideal sort of conditions for the the Stormers to play the the brand of rugby that they like to throw the ball around in. Yeah, I think the really bad news for Munster was that the Stormers and the Sharks got beaten last weekend. So suddenly they're all in Europe. So their only focal point now is the URC. They've nothing else to play for. Um, yeah, it's it's just a it's just a, probably the wrong fixture list for Munster at the moment away from home. Confidence wise, they're struggling. Like again, the, the we've talked a lot this season about the Munster attack, and it has been really transformative. And they've they're playing some really good rugby. They're accessing the kill zone from you know, from 40, 50 metres away, as I think from last year, if it's all kicked to the corner and wall it in, and they can do that as well. But it's, you can't ignore the fact that the Munster defence has gone off a cliff. You know, they've shipped 80 points in the last two URC matches and another 50, you know, um, against against the Sharks and that. So, I mean, I just think that they need to tidy up their defence. And it seems to me that they've, a defence that worked most of the season for them. Like, they were second in the URC in terms of their defensive uh, performances. They weren't just behind Leinster. But the last while, and it's like a, this nervousness has come into the team when they don't have the ball. And they go off they go off script and they do silly stuff. And it's not a good place to be coming into the end of the season where your defence is wobbling and you, don't, you feel like that you could be vulnerable to giving up three or four tries a game. So that's, I think... That, what Munster needed is a big performance and a good result this weekend. If they can beat the Stormers, 
it could still be the whole season from. They need a they need a settler at the moment. They need a game that settles them around what they're at. And and but I I don't know if the Stormers is going to be the one. They may end up going into the last game of the URC, uh, having to get a result. And it's probably going to be a slightly better or easier result to get for them against the Sharks. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I really worry about the Stormers game again. As you say, the conditions are going to be perfect for, for the Stormers to play. But we'll see, you know, but it's it's in Munster's hands. They just need to start defending because they are scoring tries. There's no doubt about that. They're, they're scoring. Their attack is still functioning. It's a defence has malfunctioned badly. And somehow they need to get the confidence back in that and if they don't, they'll they'll. If, I mean, I I I was worried about their last game as well. I I, I worried that they, they would get caught, you know, um, and they were caught again defensively. So they need to. That's the one part again they need to fix. Very fixable, but you know, there's at the moment it's the part again that's running away from. Yeah, so that is five fifteen p.m. on Saturday evening. Stormers against Munster. Lions and Leinster is up at three o'clock. And Connacht and Cardiff is Saturday seven thirty-five p.m. All of those games on RT two and RT player. But on Connacht, Eddie, as well, we spoke uh, last time you were on a couple of weeks ago about the Andy Friends legacy of, you know, whether or not they actually get into Champions Cup rugby at the end of the season. He's leaving behind a a, a quality legacy, but more than likely, barring some freak set of results, this is going to be his last home game as Connacht, uh, head or Connacht director of rugby this weekend. And just to, to look back further at the, the job he's done, it's been great. And they still have so much to, to play for this season and particularly with Cardiff coming to town, a big boost for them as well. The fact that they've got Jack Carty, Finley Bealham, Dennis Buckley, all back in full training, back from injury and available for selection for two crucial games. Yeah, well, look, to be fair, I said as my only friend the last time we spoke is that he's brought <clears throat> huge stability to the province, you know, um, and, and as a professional coach, Stability around your 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 team is actually in the long run. You need to create stability, um, and stability in terms of their performances. Like they're now sitting sixth in the URC. They had a very tough start to the season because their fixture list was ridiculous, mm-hmm. and that was again nobody's fault. Only the fact that they couldn't get into the sports ground with the new surface there. So they had this crazy start to the season. They were behind the eight ball, and they fought their way out of it. Um, you know they've they've won their last five um URC matches. Um, they'd be disappointed of the result in Benetton because they went to Benetton and they could win there but Benetton are, are a tricky side now to be uh, when they're at home in particular but anyway in terms of the URC they're up to they're up to sixth in the URC they're, and they're, they have a great chance of, of qualifying for Europe next year but Andy Friend has brought that stability around the team um, again he's brought to a lot of young talent from the province um, and he's built a kind of a brand where they're really Connacht are a really, really good side to watch. They're very entertaining to watch. Um, and like the, the sports ground is a great place to go now. It's got a great buzz and the locals have bought into it. So he has, he has like, it's the old story, you know, when you leave a coaching job, are you leaving the place in a better shape than when you got it? And you could, without a shadow of a doubt, 100% Andy Friend has done that. Um, because you look at this, the team, you look at how they're playing, you look at the stability around it. He's done a phenomenal job. So yeah, one, Connacht are in a great place. Now, that said, this game this weekend is really important for them. If they win this weekend, there's lots of possibilities because the, the problem for them is their last game of the season is away in Glasgow. And let's be honest about it and let's be realistic. The odds of, of them going to Glasgow and winning are are 
you know, they're not in their favour, let's put it that way. They need a huge performance in Glasgow because Glasgow right up there as well. You know, they're in great form at the moment. So this is why this game is so important. If they win against Cardiff on the weekend, they're in a great place. And then the Glasgow game will be important, but it's it's a game that they, they can probably throw the kitchen sink at and see what happens. So I think this one on the weekend is going to be, it's going to be right where they want to be. And I'd say they'll see this one as the one that can really you know, put them in a fantastic uh, shape at the uh, for the last weekend. Yeah, and Birch on, on Ulster, they're Friday night at home against the Dragons. They're in a kind of a tricky kind of a holding pattern, really, for the next few weeks, Ulster, where they've got two home games, Dragons and Edinburgh, that they would be expected to win and probably expected to win comfortably, particularly with how Edinburgh's season is, is falling off a cliff. But, you know, they're they're pretty much locked into the playoffs Chances are they'll have a home quarter final. Pretty much all they can do now over the next couple of weeks is win those two games as best they can and just hope in the back of their minds that the Stormers slip up and won and they can they can nip into that top two spot. But but pretty much from here on in, it's about getting your mindset and getting momentum rolled for, for the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think they need to find enough in those games to give them that confidence or, or self-belief that they can actually go and do something in the playoffs. I mean, they've worked hard all year. They've had a decent year overall. Obviously, that bad period after Christmas. Actually, since that Leinster game, when they were in control, had the, and Leinster had a red card, and you know they, they allowed Leinster back into it. They had a bit of a blip after that, shipped a lot of points away to sale, etc. But have recovered to a certain extent. I think the, the, the last 16 game against Leinster in the Champions Cup... I think that could have been a, a blow to their, their confidence. They never really fired a shot. So they need to get something out of these two games where they're improving an element of their game that that they believe will help them get a, get across the line at the end of the season or else it's going to be you know difficult to see them doing anything in, in the playoffs. And obviously the weather conditions in the, in the Viva probably hampered their attacking game, but they need to probably be able to play no matter what type of weather you know they get or, or find a, a way of you know getting their strength into the game, which is probably based around their lineup mall at the moment. But we saw Leinster just starve them of opportunities to to use that. So I think there's been a, be a lot of work done on the mental side of it, rebuilding that confidence, freshening players up, maybe adapting one or two things tactically so they can go into that playoff um, series with, I suppose, a little bit more belief uh, because based on what we've seen so far, they are going to struggle to to beat the the stronger teams. I think. Mm-hmm. Eddie, how do you see Ulster confidence wise, momentum wise, going in over the next few weeks? It's always been their bugbear over the last few seasons. You know, Ulster have been on fire at times during the season. I go back last three or four seasons, even. Uh, you know, uh, since Dan McFarland arrived, they, they've they've had those patches where they're like almost untouchable, and then they hit a slump, and and they they limp you know, for a period and then they come back a bit. And and I think they feel themselves that with the talent they have, they should probably be in the hunt for silverware more. Like they have kind of fallen short based on even their own expectations. Um so Bernard was right. That this this URC is very important from, you know, they they are out of Europe. You know, and okay, they they didn't really fire a shot, but they were beaten on a very wet day or very good evening against a team that are, you know, have talked about as potentially winning the European Cup. So it's it's no shame to lose in Dublin to Leinster on a, on a wet night when I think they do have a strong mall, uh, but I think they have a great background as well, Ulster, and there's no way to get into play. But going back to the URC now, I swear it all, 
you know, focuses for them. They do need two big performances here, just as Bernard said, to give them that shot of confidence. Because when they get into that zone and they're confident, they're a very, very good team. But if they were to limp into the playoffs now, you know, uh, with a couple of bad performances, um, it wouldn't do their, their it wouldn't do their 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 confidence any good going into the playoffs. And I think that's why they need two big performances just to get them back on the horse because they've had moments again this year where they have had those ups and downs, uh, which has really kind of put the heebie-jeebies on them at times. And they need to put that to bed going into the playoffs because once you're in the playoffs, if a bad day out, the season's over. So I think that in the back of their mind, that's why the next two games are really important in terms of Bernard said, getting their mojo back, you know? Yeah, and that's Friday night, 7.35, Ulster at home against the Dragons. We'll, we'll finish up, guys, talking about the the women's Six Nations. Obviously, Bernard and Fiona Coughlin went into a bit more detail on it last week, recapping the, the France match and looking ahead to Italy. But, Eddie, the, you mentioned confidence in Ulster there in, in the last answer, and that is precisely what the Ireland women's team needs right now with three games to go in this championship. There's two two matches that they will be targeting for a win. um, And if they if they get one this weekend in Parma against Italy, it'll it'll start to feel like a, a much different competition all of a sudden. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a must-win game for them, really. Let's let's be honest. You know that the no one's expecting them to beat England. The two games they must win um, are obviously Scotland and, and and Italy. And the rubber hits the road this weekend in Italy. Uh, I think overall, a couple of things for the women that that's probably been. Um, Sorry, guys. Um, one that a couple of things has been a been a, a problem for, maybe for the women is I I think they were probably a bit over ambitious in their expectations when the season started. You know, playing playing Wales, they felt that they were really in a good place to to win that game. Unfortunately, that game didn't work out well, and it knocked their confidence. And then they played France, and I I think that performance was quite poor as well. I know they were sifting through the records looking for positives, but I think. The, one, one of the things they have to fix is their defence. I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk about their attack and how their attack is getting better and that, but the truth of the matter is that against France, the harsh statistics are they missed over 40 tackles. If you're going to miss that many tackles in a game, you're going to lose the game. So, like, if they go to Italy this weekend and they defend badly, they could lose the game. I think they have the attacking game to beat Italy, but have they the defensive game? I don't know, and that's what they need to focus on. Um, If they defend well, they'll win. And then... You know, England is a game where they just don't have to get through it any way they can. It's going to be ugly. But if they can win in Italy, then they can really have a shot at winning the second game of the championship, which for me would be a good championship, you know. But I, I think they probably were a bit over-ambitious on when they were going into the championship. And you have to be somewhat ambitious, but I think they, they got caught cold against Wales and that kind of knocked the wind out of their sails a bit. So this is why this weekend is so important for them to get back on the horse. And I think if they to start anywhere defend a lot better and I, I think if they defend well they'll win and but if they don't defend well they could easily lose in Italy and that would you know make the crisis even more existential in terms of the championship yeah and Birch the the other little side side plot of this week is this team going back to Parma the the scene of probably the the lowest point in Irish women's rugby in in modern times and you know it's the, the word Parma now for in women's rugby in Ireland, probably it's up there with lawns for for the Irish men's team of a of a certain generation or, you know, Macedonia for Irish soccer fans or something like that. It's just the the name of the place probably brings back a lot of a lot of bad memories. And 
we were out there yesterday. We asked a couple of players about, you know, going back there. Is there a certain significance to it where you want to right a few wrongs? And, you know, they obviously tried to to bat that away as, as straight as they could. But it must be it must be a factor for some of those players going back to to that stadium in Parma and just trying to to right a few wrongs of of 18 months ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to be fair, there's a lot of youngsters in this in this current squad who who maybe weren't involved and, and that's mm. probably what Greg McWilliams has tried to do. He's tried to build a group that will be there for um for a long time. Uh, but there is obviously, you know, some key players who who are part of that. I think look at I think there's been a lot of change. I I think, you know, um change of coach, you know, it's contracting um, you know, access to the high performance center in Abbottstown to train. I think there's been a decent amount of investment in them, and we just got to basically wait now and 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 let it develop. And it'd be brilliant if we could get a win this weekend. You know, that would give them a great chance of beating Scotland, and then effectively, you know, you, you know that you're chasing the, the the rest of the pack. But if we if we were to lose this weekend, it puts massive pressure on on what is a young team to try and get a result and avoid a wooden spoon against Scotland. So. On form, it's going to be very tight. Um, on form, you would nearly fancy Italy, to be honest, um, based on their results. But hopefully the rest week, the experience we've gained, I, I agree with Eddie, I think we were caught cold against Wales, that this week we'll see you know a much better performance. And, and if you get a win, it'll be, it'll be super. Yeah, that's 4.45pm kickoff uh, on Saturday, Italy against Ireland in Parma. Live commentary on RTE Radio 1. And as we said as well, there's a triple header of um, URC action on RT2 and RT player on Saturday as well. Lions against Leinster, Stormers, Munster and Connacht against Cardiff. So heaps of rugby going on. Not to mention final round of the AIL regular season this week. And Eddie, best of luck again in that. Uh, thanks. Hope you get the, the results you're looking for and get through to the playoffs. But lads, thanks a million for joining us. Birch, as always, thanks a million for coming on. And Eddie, all the best. We'll speak to you again soon.